Welcome to the Future Hero Podcast. My name is Baxter. Thank you for pressing play. One of the big requests that I have had since doing this podcast, and if you would like to make a request, you can write me at Baxter at futureheropodcast.com. But one of the big requests I've had is to do more interviews. That I did an interview with Breck and Rivara, and uh, it was one of the most played, and people really enjoyed it. And so I love doing interviews and would love to develop that skill. And I have selected uh, today's podcast to do another interview, and I'm very happy to welcome Ben Drexler here. Uh, he is uh, a friend, a friend, true friend of mine, and someone that I've known for a long time, and we'll get into uh, how we know each other. Uh, he has uh, really, I mean, for what it's worth, I don't want to embarrass him, but I, I think most people would consider him flow famous. <laughs> He is considered one of the, uh, definitely one of the leaders in the poi world. And in my opinion, over the last couple of years, he has shifted to really expand into all the flow arts and their promotion and their uh, gifts that they bring. And I think he's, uh, he's one of those guys that's not just a spinner, but he's an advocate uh, in a non-aggressive, non-obnoxious way. And he's also a huge contributor and so if you guys don't know that much about him because you're from the hoop world, within the poi world, Drex supplies tutorials on a weekly, sometimes it seems like daily basis. His tutorials are edited, uh, they're scripted, they're well done. He offers a beginner series on his website that maybe we can get him to talk about too, a uh, 13-week series. So he's, you know, for those of you not familiar, I'm vouching for this guy. He is doing it. And as part of this podcast, being Future Hero Podcast, we're trying to provide a podcast for people that are really trying to realize their dreams, that they're really trying to become their no excuses self. So with that introduction, welcome, Ben. <laughs> Thanks, Baxter. It's a hell of an intro. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I think that, uh, you know, one of the things that's really funny, I don't know if you ever noticed this, but like if you're on Twitter at all, and I know you are, you realize that there's a bunch of people out there that are like big deals that you've never heard about. <laughs> you know, it's just funny, you know, it's, uh, and so I'm, I'd like to, uh, I just want to make sure that everybody understands uh, who I have on the phone here and not to, uh, not to add any pressure to you. So, no, no, not at all. <laughs> but, uh, but, um, can you, uh, I know a little bit of your flow story, but for the benefit of the listeners, can you share a little bit of your, your story and how you got here? Sure. Um, I'll do my best to make this the short version. Um, so basically had a circle of friends, uh, in high school and college. And one of them, uh, got really into Burning Man and, uh, she spent years trying to get me to come out. And, um, I was very much resistant to this cause I have, uh, I, I, growing up in Boulder, it's one of two, I, I'm from Boulder, Colorado and it's one of two things. It's either, you know, you're really, really, really into like the spiritual guru side of things, or you have an extraordinary degree of skepticism. Uh, <laughs> those things. And, um, I, I definitely was of the latter. So when I saw her coming home with like photographs and like flyers of naked people dancing around statues, I'm just like, no, not, not, not for me. Thanks though. Um, and then we had a friend, uh, his name's uh, Corey Pavisich, who was a mutual friend in college, and he decided that he was going to go to Burning Man one year. And um, uh, he, extraordinarily smart guy and uh, even more square than I am, which is really saying something. Um, and I found out that he was going, so I'm just like, oh, wow, I really want to see what this event is going to do to him. So uh, I got myself a ticket literally – Five days before the event. This was back in 2006, so it was very easy to get a ticket five days before Burning right, Man and right. randomly decide that you're going to drive out I there. I think you could still walk up at that time. Yeah, yeah, I think you probably could. Yeah, um, yeah but pilot into a car with a guy that I literally just met because this is a Burning Man story, of course. And <laughs> uh, <laughs> we drove 16 hours from Boulder, Colorado, out to uh, out to Black Rock City, and uh, yeah, it was. I mean, it was life changing. It, mm. Anybody who goes there multiple times is always going to be like, you know, this this was totally an experience that that blew my world right open. And um, one of the, the interesting things that happened out there um, was that I encountered uh, fire spinning for the first time, oh. which is really weird because apparently that's the thing that street performers do in Boulder all the time. And I have absolutely no idea how I'd spent 26 years living in Boulder and I'd never seen it before. Mm. Um, but uh, 
saw it first at the uh, Fire Jam at Hookah Dome on Wednesday night, which was awesome. And ironically enough, the the spinner who I like really kind of gravitated toward and was really inspired by was a Hooper. Really. Um, yeah, it, it was funny because um, I mean, even at the time, I knew that she was like a beginner, and she still she she didn't know that much stuff. But just like the amount of joy that she was having and what little she could do with it and everything, right. really, really, really magnetic. Just right. the, the look of joy on her face was like, oh, I, I want that kind of joy, you know. And then um, Burn Night, of course, they had Conclave, and I, I I had no idea what Conclave was before I went there, and. Um, yeah, seeing Conclave that night very literally changed my life. Just seeing all of the fire dancers around the man, and I had just got it in my head. I'm like, I'm I'm going to go home and learn how to do this. This is this is going to be a thing that I'm going to do too. Um, so I got home, asked around to my friends, and um, basically I was just like, you know, does does anybody does anybody know anybody who does that fire spinning thing? And uh, after a few months worth of asking. Um, I finally had a friend who was just like, oh, you mean poi? And like literally they could have said any word in the world, but just I know what you're talking about. <laughs> it's like that arbitrary that I wound up spinning poi. Wow. Um, yeah, and it turned out that we had a friend who knew how to do it, and I went and try, I, I went and asked him to teach me. We had a lesson, which was two hours of trying to teach me how to do a basic reel, and I could not for the life of me do it. And uh, I, I actually gave up at that point. I'm all like, you know, this is really? not something. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I was pretty convinced. You know, I put two hours in, and I can't do even a basic trick. So this is not, I, I th- this is not something that's ever going to be in my wheelhouse. Um, and that was kind of the end of the story for uh, a couple months. And then my roommate at the time, uh, he had gone to Thailand uh, to spend the holidays, and he came back with. You know those like really scary sets of fire poi that you buy in street markets in Thailand yeah. that are like you know cut off electrical tubing and they're wrapped up with with cotton and everything. He comes back with a set of those and he's like, "Hey, you want to learn how to do this, didn't you?" And I'm just like, "Oh yeah, about that." And I, I, I mean, I I, I felt bad because you know clearly this was something that he thought he was like doing me a big favor on and everything. And so I I, I picked him up. I'm like, "Okay, I'll, I'll practice on my own with these." And uh, about a week later, I found out that there was a fire jam down the street from where we were living at the time in Denver, uh, in Confluence Park. And I was able to connect with some other fire dancers there. And that's that's when the bug finally hit me. And that's when I finally like started dedicating myself to it. And uh, about a year later is when I started posting videos on YouTube. And um, that blew up again, one of those things that was never meant to happen, but uh, it did. And um, at first, it was just me, you know, monkeying around in front of the camera. Um, the original theory for it actually was that uh, I'd seen it like so. This is like 2007, and at the time, you know, Nick Woolsey's got a few videos on YouTube. Yudi's got a couple. Uh, Zan's got one or two, and uh, you know, I'd kind of run the course of moves that I could pick up easily from the people at Confluence Park. Um, not that they, I, I knew more poi than them, but that um, I was past stuff that they had a capacity to very easily teach other people. You know, the mm-hmm. stuff, the, the more complicated stuff they knew how to do, they didn't quite know how to teach that well. Um, so I was looking for more stuff online to learn from, and I found uh, a woman, and I've never been able to find her videos since. I wonder if she took them offline, but... Hmm. Um, Essentially, she'd like posted a weekly video uh, for about three months showing her progress learning Poi and everything. And I thought, well, that's really cool. Um, so I started doing the same thing. And a big part of it was actually that I just I wanted to motivate myself to keep practicing. And I figured, OK, so I'll make this appointment with myself every week that I'm going to have to record a video on what I've learned. So I have to have huh. something to show in the video. Huh. And that was my motivation to practice. Right. Um, yeah, so I never, I never shared them with anybody. I never, right. um, you know, it, it wasn't something that was meant to be, you know, hey, look at what I'm doing or anything like that. And then uh, after I'd been doing that for like two or three months, I think it was Alien John, um, somebody on the Homopoi forums, showing my age once again. Hmm. Uh, God, nobody uses those anymore. But yeah. uh, no, uh, somebody on on the uh, Homopoi forums had asked a question about one of the tricks that I was playing with in those early videos, and Alien John reshared them, and then all of a sudden I, I like had an audience that started growing organically. Um, and you know, again, I at first it was just kind of like, okay, I'm posting whatever I'm working on, 
And uh, then because I started traveling and going around to different events and everything, um, I started taking the stuff that people were teaching me at these events, whether it be Alien John or G or you know whoever I happened to run into, and I would do a quick video on the stuff that I'd learned from them. And I, I, after a while, I realized that this was like kind of a way for people who couldn't attend these events to still be able to get some benefit from them, you know, yeah, to still totally. be able to, to, to learn these things that these people were teaching at these events, but, you know, weren't getting out any other way. Um, and that, that was when like kind of the aha moment hit for me that it's like, oh, I can perform a service for people with these videos. Mm. Um, and it's gone through several different iterations since then. Um, at one point, like I was doing like news in the flow arts, which um, the workflow on it was ridiculously difficult. And I, I stopped doing that after about six months. Um, but then things too, like, uh, you know, the beginner tutorials that you mentioned, um, that was... <laughs> That, that was actually a result of trying to uh, travel and teach uh, workshops. And people would come into my workshops and be like, oh, well, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that anything you're going to teach me is too difficult for me. Because at the time, all the videos that I'd been posting were like tech boy videos. And nobody really had it in their head that I was a guy that could teach beginners. So I started doing the beginner tutorials be like, no, no, I can do this too. It was like, you know, <laughs> to get workshops and everything. Right. And then those blew up. Um, and it kind of shifted my focus over from like, I'm going to do the most cutting edge stuff that I can think of to, okay, there's a lot of people out there with questions and uh, I can be the guy to help answer them for them. Yeah. You know, it's, it's really interesting, isn't it? How the internet and flow arts are so woven into each other now. And, yeah. You know, I mean, I, the hoop world, I know for a fact, you know, spread the way that it did because of the internet. Oh, absolutely. And uh, the Poi world too, for sure. I mean, I, how, how long have you been doing this? Are, are you like part of the pre YouTube generation? I am. I am. I am 2001. I'll be damned. Okay. So how did people get into this back then? It, it had to be face to face, right? Was, yeah, it was face to face. And I think there's a lot to be said about that kind of introduction for sure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, it was the, it's, you know, the myth, the whole story about the hoop world is pretty true. Like, String cheese, you know, in Colorado, and then, um, you know, rave kids picking it up, and then Anna taking it to Burning Man. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how many times she must have hooped at Burning Man. I don't know if it was just once and 5,000 people saw it or what. But, you know, um, but, but yeah, um, and... It's like, uh, you, you know that old joke about the Velvet Underground, right? no. Oh, there's there's this old joke that like the first Velvet Underground record that like eleven people bought it, but each and every one of them started a band. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty much what it was. That yeah. was pretty much what it was. And I think honestly, because we didn't have like, don't get me wrong, we we quickly found the internet, but that's not how we got into hooping. Like mm -hmm. Spiral saw it at a string cheese show, got one, comes back to North Carolina. Julia sees her at a festival. Julia shows me and like so on. And then I really think, and, and I'd be curious if you've had like flow partners, but like mm -hmm. um, I had flow buddies and they were really, really helpful for me. Like we became like a posse of dancers or something where, you know, there was this conversation going of technique and and everything. Did you yeah. have that kind of thing? Yeah. So the interesting thing about like being a member of the YouTube generation is that like none of my flow homies lived close to where I did. Mm. Um, like the, the kind of first year that I was doing the videos, there, there were two people that I, I kind of bounced ideas back and forth with a lot. One of whom lived in Ohio, uh, Christian Medina, who is just mm -hmm. like salt of the earth, just one of the Love sweetest guy. guys you'll ever meet in your life. Uh, yeah. totally. um, and it makes me really sad. He's not more, he, he's not more like involved in the flow arts. Cause me like, too. He, he's, he's this OG guy who sweet as can be and unbelievably talented, just like crazy 3d stuff with poi. Absolutely. Uh, he was actually the first person to show me tech poi in a way that was really meaningful and made me go like, Oh good God, how long is that going to take to learn? Yeah. Um, yeah. and then, uh, the other guy was, uh, a sophomore. Uh, he went by the name poi boy at uh, that point, but now he's like a really famous juggler from uh, Israel. Um, and you know, it, it was really interesting when I started collaborating, like essentially what would happen is Asaf and I would like make videos and send them back and forth to each other and everything. And we'd like talk in the comment section and everything mm -hmm. yeah, like, hey, have you, have you thought about doing this with this move and that with that move? Um, so, yeah, it, it was um, 
it, it was an interesting form of collaboration. Of course, later on, I started collaborating with folks like uh, Charlie Cushing, the guy who, who yeah. founded Andrew Smith. Um, basically, the puppy, puppy Hammer, right? The Puppy Hammer dude. Yeah, yeah. I was a, I was actually there the weekend that that got named. It was, uh, <laughs> yeah, I've said this to his face, so it's cool. But that is the most space hogging prop that there is. I think that and Meteor probably take up the most. <laughs> Yeah. I, well, I, I mean, it, it basically is a meteor. But, yeah. <laughs> well, you know, um, one question I was wondering about, um, you know, just to sort of flow between topics, um, sure. you know, sometimes on the other side of collaboration uh, can be competition. Yes. And I'm curious uh, what your thoughts are about competition in the flow world. And while you think about that, I can just tell you that in the hoop world, it's really frowned upon. It is, mm-hmm. um, and I, and I think that it it could go along some lines of maybe maybe gender. I don't know, like as far as like you know qualities of you know like um, you know I, I feel like competition among a lot of the women and mostly women that I teach is, is kind of more of a negative than a positive. Yeah, yeah, and it brings out the worst in people to them. So they like competitive free places. Do you have any thoughts about competition and? Sure. Um, so that takes me to two different places. The, the, so the first one is really that, like, um, yeah, absolutely, competition is. I think it's really important in um, in the poi world because you know, especially like the the tech spinners and everything. Um, you know, there's once people start getting into the tech world, there's almost inevitably this thing that takes over where they're just kind of like, I want to find something that nobody has ever done before. They want to be the first person to show off a move. They sure. want to, you know, there, there's kind of an arms race to, uh, to, to find something that's new and unique. And, you know, in some respects that's really good because it's diversified the vocabulary of poi a lot hmm. in, in the past 10 years. Um, faster than I think I've seen any other art form diversify. Now, when you it, say vocabulary, do you mean the mm-hmm. words for things or actual, like it's expanded the vocabulary as far as like moves being words? Both. Oh, I mean, okay. yeah, cause there, there's definitely like the intellectually competitive side where people are coming up with ways to describe, uh, different moves. Like, and you know, I, I, alien John's always the guy I think of in this context, not, not in terms of the competition, but in terms of like, I know, like, you know, these eight different moves and they all feel like they have something in common. Let me see if I can figure out what it is they have in common. And once you figure that out, it's like, okay, so this is the thing that changed between all these different moves to make them different. So are there more changes that I can do there? It helps you kind of predict moves that you haven't gotten to yet, which like I I think is amazing. Um, And it definitely is a big part of how I've approached my own spinning. Um, and I think that, that that side of it is is really really useful because it's like a mental exercise and it gets you to really kind of parameterize the world around you. Um, and that of course is a skill that you can you know move off into doing things like okay so my TV isn't working why isn't my TV working I can go like piece by piece along the kind of signal chain there and figure out you know okay this must be working but this isn't kind of thing and it, it's that same kind of thought process you know. Um, and I, I feel like there's um, – I think it was Glitter Girl once put it this way. She called it like coopetition, like the uh, that's nice. the ability for people to kind of like creatively uh, compete with each other but in a friendly way where like it wasn't necessarily about I'm going to have all the moves and I'm going to have all the original ideas. But like we're going to make a whole bunch of awesome stuff for a lot of people in the process of this, you know? Mm-hmm. Um And I I think that that's been really, really integral to the tech poi scene. At the same time, I've encountered so many people online in the poi world who are very, very anti-competition. Oh, really? Okay. Oh, yeah. Like, I remember, uh, so it would have been almost five years ago now. um, There's, uh, so there's a thing I do on my YouTube channel wherein um, it's called the the top 10 favorite poi spinners uh, every year. Right, 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 right. Yeah, so the way it works is that, like, on December 10th, I put up a video asking people to vote for their favorite poi spinners from the past year. Um, and basically what they do is they just put the names in the comments and everything. And uh, 10 days later, I, I shut down the comments, and I take all the comments that people have left, and I do a tally, the number of times each name has appeared in there. And the 10 names that appear the most often, I do a compilation video for that comes out on New Year's Day. Um 
And the first year I did this, like the pushback was overwhelming. I, for months, thought that everybody in in the flow arts world hated me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, you know, there was certainly some part of it that was like stubbornness and some part of it that's like, no, there's something redeemable in this that I didn't just take it down and like wash my hands and walk away and everything. Um, And, you know, my... I, my, my professional training, I I got my college degree as a historian. And to me, like there's, there's this piece of wanting to have documentation of the history of what this art is. Yeah. Yeah. And in a lot of ways, doing that list is a way that you can look back every year and see, okay, these were the people who were the movers and shakers every year. And even more specifically than that, you know, you can see, okay, these were like the trends that were operating every year. And, you know, this trend, we see little bits and pieces of this starting up this year, and then it explodes two years down the road kind of thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at, at, but at the time, people were very much like, oh, this is a popularity contest, and it's all about ego, and it's all about, like, you know, people, you know, making themselves feel good at the expense of others. And, I mean, I, I never saw it that way. Mm-hmm. Um, I see why other people see it that way. But to me, it was, it was you know, a combination of, like, let's – acknowledge people who are working their butts off in the community and like wanting to have a record of all this stuff, you know? Um, and even to this day, I get pushed back on it, uh, every year it's, it's gotten like less and less intense as time has gone on. Uh, I've never gotten pushed back as big as I got that first year, but still there's a lot of people in the boy world that really, really desperately do not want it to become a competitive thing, which I think is kind of weird because it already is a competitive thing, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think in in some respects what they dislike about it is that it makes it impossible for them to ignore the competitive aspects, you know? They they can they can kind of package away um competition when people are like, "Oh, I'm going to come up with a framework for describing this and this and this. Oh, I'm going to come up with a better framework." Um and it just makes the competition element of it so explicit that they can't like kind of excuse it away if that makes yeah. any kind of sense. Yeah, it does. Well, you brought up something. I'm sorry. Go ahead, please. Sorry. Yeah. So one more point here, and that is that, um, ironically enough, I feel like I see more competition in the hoop world than I have in really. In the boy world. Really? Yeah, but it might just be my particular uh, section of things. Like, um, sorry, my my uh, my girlfriend's cat is scratching up this chair right next to me. <laughs> That's cool. It sounds like um, drumming. Yeah, totally. Um, anyway, so um, there's uh, – you've ever been to uh, Peck Summer Festival? Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know, they, they do like a uh, hooping idol there, right? Right. Yeah, yeah. There, there's like a hooping competition they do there every year, which people just love. And like to, to be perfectly frank with you, I think they do such a good job of it. Like the first year I saw it, I actually like – you know, one of the judges like threw out their little grading sheet for the uh, for for the hoopers and everything, and I went and like grabbed it out of the trash and everything because I'm like, this is great. I wanted to like maybe someday use this as a template for competitions with poi and everything. It never got around to it, but it was just like, oh, <laughs> that's really well done. Yeah, they asked me to participate in it, and uh, I just couldn't bring myself to do it. It just no. Uh, yeah, you know, I don't know. I um. I don't know. I have mixed feelings about formalized competition. Um, I totally relate to what you said because um, I come from the visual art world. Mm. And there is definitely, when you're in an art class of people that are taking it seriously, there's definitely a race to the front. And I think that oh, that yeah. race is good. And I think everybody actually appreciates it because it has a momentum to it. You know, like you, like you walk into a studio at like 1130 at night thinking you're being all badass and, you know, it's already filled with eight people and headphoned up and you're like, okay. Totally. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So, um, but oh, absolutely. the problem that I have with uh, formalized competition, and this is probably more of a worry but um, is like there's always a way to game the judges, mm. and I worry that it would become formulaic the expression, you know, because honestly, there are people that I, you know, if I'm talking about their virtuosity, you know, I have different things that I might like. I might like to see them dance and move to the beat and something like that, and then someone else could be like, well, what's the difficulty of the moves that they're doing, really? You know, yeah. and so we're kind of judging for different things. You know, yeah. um, that, that, that's not to say that like, uh, this is, you know, this is a conversational stand, not like a yeah. hard stand. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's fair. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, you brought up um, competition and, and, or I brought up competition. And then in that you uh, brought up ego. 
mm-hmm. and uh, they're clearly linked. And you just recently uh, did a video <laughs> where you talked about ego in the flow community, and it got a lot of plays. I mean, the last time I saw it, it was like 4,000 or something, and uh, that's, yeah. that's a lot for a talking video, and it probably has more than that now. This was a couple weeks ago. Um, did, could you sort of summarize what you said in that for people that haven't heard or the, or the gist of it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, wow, the kind of like uh, two-sentence, um, I guess, hook for that is that, you know, yeah, we've definitely seen a rise of people in the flow arts community who kind of like take it for granted or just in it for themselves for, you know, feeling better about themselves. But at the same time, um, I truly believe that fears of ego taking over the flow arts, number one, is inflated. And number yeah. two, I feel as though there are frequently times when um, people misuse the term that like yeah. uh, they basically just use it as a shorthand for any time they don't get exactly what they were expecting from an interaction. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, I think people – I think people – with low self-confidence, sometimes perceive high self-confidence as ego. Yeah. You know, and that like, you know, because that person believed in themselves enough that they volunteered to teach and the other person didn't. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah. well, they're not ready to teach. Their ego must have motivated them to fill out that application. Right, totally. And I mean, I'm, I'm sure you've encountered this a ton too, but just, you know, when you travel abroad and everything, it, you wind up talking to so many people who like, when they talk to you, what they really want to do is they want to talk about themselves. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes they have really interesting things to say. And sometimes it's like they, they want, they, they want you to reinforce this self image that they've created for themselves of like, you know, oh, I'm really badass or oh, I'm really smart. And, you know, if, you know, Baxter says the same thing or Drex says the same thing, then mm. it must be true kind of thing, you know? Yeah. And I, I don't know. I don't know about you, but I have a really, really hard time with circumstances like that because, mm. you know, I. And, you know, maybe maybe it's not a bad thing just to, you know, let them let them have the thing that they want from you. But at the same time. You know, I really, really like seeing people, you know, work for things, work for things for the intrinsic value of them, you Mm -hmm. know, Mm -hmm. like I I love seeing people in my classes that just like keep pushing themselves and keep pushing themselves and keep pushing themselves. Uh, And, you know, those are the people that I really I'm just kind of like, you know, yes, I love seeing that dedication and I love seeing what you're able to put together from it and everything. And then there's like some people that will walk into your class and they're just kind of like, let me show you what I know how to do. And it's just like. Why, why did you come to my class then? <laughs> for you, real, for real. You know? I think that that happens more on the festival teaching scene, flow festival teaching scene than like in my situation uh, where mm-hmm. I'm doing like a private event basically and yeah. people are just there for that. But dude, that used to happen so much. It's crazy yeah. where totally somebody that. would show up to my workshop. They only came to show me and the rest of the room how good they were. Right. You know, and it's it's kind of like, you know, what's funny about that, and I wish maybe people will hear this and, and <laughs> know that it's a trap. What happens, though, is that in my classes, the people, the rest of the class starts to resent that person. Yeah. Like, so it has the total opposite effect. Like, yep. instead of endearing, <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. And, and I mean, it, I think it's one of those things where people are really doing it for themselves rather than for the good of everybody. And that's immediately apparent to everybody in the room. And as soon as there's somebody who is like taking away from that energy, it it does result in that kind of resentment, Mm -hmm. not just from the students, but also from the teacher. And yeah, I just, when when you set up a class, you're setting up like a learning experience for people because they're, they're coming there very specifically because there is some place that they want to get to. And if you're coming into that place with that intention of there's, you know, this thing that I want for myself, then it just, yeah, it, it's, it's time to, to take a quick check and be like, you know, maybe I should just talk to this person after class and show them, show them what I'm up to, you know? Yeah. And you know, not to, not to put people into folders or whatever, but that, that wanting to impress, to Mm -hmm. feed their own ego can't, I think it, it becomes kind of a corrosive in their hoop. I mean, their, their flow practice as well, because like, if they don't get the likes, if they don't get the shares, if nobody's taken notice, then it's kind of like, well, to them, they're like, well, what the fuck am I doing this for? Totally. You know? And And 
Go you know, I mentioned I mentioned this in in the ego video too, but just you know, one of those red flags for me when when I interact with people is there will always be that person who's just like, I've run out of things to learn from the people around me, or you know, I'm the best person in my city, and and nobody else can teach me anything, and it's mm-hmm. just like, the moment those words come out of somebody's mouth, I'm just kind of like, there's nothing I'm going to be able to teach you either, because the only person you're watching is yourself. Mm. Does um does this boy go through fads? Oh yeah. <laughs> okay, I thought so. I just didn't want to be dumb, but Absolutely. Does it has it gone through a fad or a phase where you kind of didn't like it? Like just and I'm just talking about like artistically didn't like it. Like not that you didn't like the people doing it or thought it was horrible <laughs> or something like that. But. I mean, there are definitely things that people get into that I'm less interested in. Mm-hmm. Um it it never makes me like want to stop spinning or leave the community or anything like For that. Sure, but there's yeah. definitely things that come up that I'm just kinda like, eh, I'm gonna sit that one out. <laughs> and you know, some sometimes, you know, a little ways down the road I'll come back to it and realize the benefit of something and be like, No, okay, it's time to go back and relearn that. Um the, the the one that that happened most recently with was uh, was gunslingers. You know, people have been doing that now for like three or four years, and when I first saw it, I, I just didn't see the point. And uh, and then like last year, I finally saw some people doing stuff. That I'm like, oh, that's really cool. And also at the same time, sitting back and being like, man, it's going to take so much time to go back and relearn that now. But, <laughs> you know, it was it was it was good. But yes. Um, you know, some things like I sat out when people were really, really into doing quarter time moves. It just didn't look good to me. Um, Poi World is really, really into into juggling right now. And uh, yeah, it's just not not my thing. Yeah. You mean like real juggling? I mean, not juggling yeah. poi. Okay. Yeah. Well, no, all the above, like people juggle poi now too, which, you know, to, to be fair, juggling, juggling poi as a prop is really difficult. You know, it's, it's imagine. a flexible yeah. prop and, you know, controlling how that's going through the air and landing in your hand again is super difficult. So I absolutely respect the people that are doing it. They're, they're doing something that's really hard, but again, just aesthetically, it's not my thing. What is your, I know that you spend a lot of things, all the things, but yes. what is, what do you think is your, your most natural prop? Oh, definitely poi. Um, like, is it contact poi though? Cause then you do do that too, right? Oh, you no, know, it's, it's, it, well, I do do contact poi, but okay. the, like, I mean, at this point moving around just like the kind of traditional flower style with, with poi is like effortless. You know, it, it feels very much like it's just an extension of my body, which I really, really dig. Um, and I don't have any other prop that's like that, that I just pick it up and it is like an extension of my body and it doesn't require thought anymore to engage Mm -hmm. with it, you know? Um, yeah, I mean, I've, I've spent a lot of time with double staff and that still like requires some thought to go through. Uh, and of course, you know that I do hoop. No, very, very few people know that I'm a hooper. Yeah, you came and took a class one time. Actually, yeah, that's how we met. That's right. Met. Right, yeah. DC. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, that I, I very, very, very deliberately don't hoop in front of other people because I kind of want that just to be something that I have for myself. Yeah. Um, but uh, th- those are the, t- the the two other big ones that I spend a lot of time on. Yeah. Do you um do you set yourself flow goals for your practice? Oh, absolutely. And, and, yeah. Okay. Okay. Like, what what would be an example of one um, if you can think of one? Sure. So, I mean, I mean, and someday I like want to write like literally write a book about all this because like I, I definitely you think that there are like formulas to successful practice and, and, and attaining goals and everything. But the, the way I usually break it down is I'll set like, you know, a long-term goal and then I'll break that up into a couple medium-term goals and then several like short-term goals, right? So for instance, um, when I decided that I was going to learn how to do gunslingers, gunslingers was like the, the big goal and kind of the medium range goals were the, the individual tricks that I wanted with them, which was that, you know, I wanted to be able to do those anti-spin uh, gunslinger flowers that I was seeing kids on Instagram doing. Um, and that involved kind of breaking that up into smaller pieces and it'd be like, okay, this week I'm going to, you know, be able to do a gunslinger weave, both thumb lead and pinky lead. Uh, and how I know that I've got that is I'm able to keep it stable for 20 reps on both sides. Okay. Next week, uh, I'm going to be able to turn back and forth between them. I need to have 
10 turns backwards and forwards. Uh, and then I need to be able to move my hand with it. And then it's time to add the other poi into it. So it's it's literally just like a step-by-step kind of thing of like, okay, so what is the thing that I can get done today? Or what is the thing that I can get done this week? And mm-hmm. sometimes you don't make your goal for the day. And that's okay, too. Um, and, there, you know, there, there are a couple times when you just have to be like, I, I've got to call it a day because my arm's too tired and it's just not going to happen. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to freaking get this one tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and I'm still working through those goals even even now. Um, yeah, like one one of the big ones is retraining the way that I do uh, spiral wraps with gunslingers. And again, it's like okay, I've got to do ten of these spiral wraps a day in order to make sure that it's like kind of built into my body and everything. Sure, and it's you, getting there. Do you? Um, so you were saying in one of the, the earlier section, you were saying uh, you you kept using the term tech. Poi yeah. or something. Mm-hmm. So, am, is it correct to assume there's a flow poi? Is that what the other side of that is? What, what if you're not a tech poi person? What are you? <laughs> like, I, <I'm, laughs> I know that sounds like a bumper sticker, but I really mean no, that. No, it's all good. It's it, it's just funny because like the whole tech versus flow debate is like. Yeah, I don't you know, know if you're going to hang up on me if I bring that up. <laughs> not going to hang up on you. I, for those who are who are not able to watch us having this Skype conversation, I'm rolling my eyes hard right now. <laughs> Uh, um, so in theory, that's the dichotomy. I don't believe that it's a dichotomy. Me neither. Yeah. I, I, I think, I think it's one of these fake dichotomies that we kind of created because it allows people to like throw a lot of ink around on it. Um, everybody gets to have an opinion and it doesn't matter if, if, uh, if, if you ever reach a conclusion on it. Um, but so in broadest strokes, the way I would describe, Tech versus no, I shouldn't even do that because that's even that that's going to start a debate. Tech and um, then flow. <laughs> yeah, in in theory, in theory, yeah, there's a difference between it, people say there's a difference between tech and flow, but I mean, you know, doing doing tech poi is really like it, it's challenging yourself to parameterize what you're doing in such a way that you can either come up with new possibilities that you haven't tried yet or predict things that might exist that that you don't know of. Um, and it's, it's, it, it's a very, very mathematical way of thinking about, uh, what, what you're going to do, which I think is part of the reason why so many tech spinners have, have gone into the juggling world lately is because mm. yes. juggling is like highly mathematical in that way. Mm. Um, and then of course you have people that just want to do it for fun. They don't want to care about, you know, do I have all of the hybrids? Do I like have every single thing in this chart? So on and so forth. They just want to put on a piece of music and jam out. Yeah. And that's totally legit. And the thing is, is that tech spinners do that too. It's like, you know, yeah. all, all, all of us engage in both to a certain extent. All of us, like, you know, we get to a point where we're kind of bored with what we've learned and we're just like, okay, I want to learn something new. What are, the, what are the possibilities that are out there? And we also just want to have our days when we put on a piece of music and like lose ourselves in spinning. And yeah, it's, I, I, I don't buy the, uh, that there's a line between those two things. I think everybody jumps back and forth. Yeah. You know, my take on it, um, or my shorter take, uh, like you, I have a long thing, a lot to say about it, but <laughs> My shorter take on it is that it has a, it goes back to that identity that you're talking about because yeah. to protect the ego we or the ego you were talking about to protect the ego we take on identity. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that we're a part of a group then. Yeah, and totally. so it's like, well, I, you know, if you're attacking me, you're attacking all tech guys or people. Yeah, that's Pure. interesting. Point. I never thought of that. Yeah, and um and I think it becomes a part of people's identity. And yeah. not that it's like it's, tribal in some ways. I really do think it is. And yeah, I yeah. know in the hoop world, like we don't see it so much between tech versus flow as much maybe as, well, the first division that I remember was on body and off body because really? they used, yeah, there used to just be only on body. <laughs> and then when like guys like Rich Porter and Con Wong and, um, you know, I'm sure I'm, I'm forgetting names of loads of people, but when they sort of brought the, some of the poise stuff and staff stuff into the hoop, then, you know, people took the hoop off the body. Mm-hmm. And started just whirling it around, and then they became kind of, you know, known as off-body people. And now I think, and now I think that there's a little bit more like people are more hybrid now in that way. Yeah. Um, Did people get into like really contentious debates about this? Oh yeah, oh huh. yeah. I mean, th- th- this is like kind of ongoing. I mean, there's like a <laughs> campaign. I mean, practically a, a movement in the hoop community to get people to go back to bigger hoops and core hoop more. 
you know, core hoop going around the body, um, yeah, sure. the traditional hooping thing, because, um, Which, I, ironically I, enough, it's the style I tend to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I think it's, you know, you asked me once when we were hanging out in Florida about, you know, what I thought as a teacher was the reason that so it was so much easier to express yourself through a hoop with less time, mm. like to see the person's expression and dance. You could see it in a hoop quicker than you could yeah. in other props, not to limit any other thing. And I told you then that I thought it was because you could move your feet, you mm. know, that it was just like you could move more freely, you know what yeah, I mean? Definitely. Because your movement is actually helping the hoop go around. You're not, you're not having to move in spite you know, of yeah. spinning. In fact, it's it's cool that you mentioned Christian because um, I, you and him actually were, uh, you know, and, and this isn't, a, I don't really keep up with the poi world a whole lot, but you two were like clearly my two favorite poi spinners because you oh, did thanks. move. <laughs> you know, like, I mean, both of you, I was like, these guys actually move around. <laughs> oh, thank you. That means a lot. Well, I just, I'm, you know, I think... Are you, so would you say that people consider you a tech spinner? I mean, a, a tech poi person? If, if they're going to consider me something, almost certainly they're going to consider me a tech spinner, which yeah. is I, funny because, I mean, you know, I've spent a lot of time doing dance tutorials in the past year. <laughs> yeah, totally. Totally. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, uh, it's funny that you say that because I echo that same feeling because I think that I'm considered a flow spinner more yeah. than a tech spinner. Mm-hmm. And... To be honest with you, I'm always like, well, did you not see that shit I was doing? Did you? (laughs) (laughs) That shit was hard. Did you? (laughs) I was up in the air, (laughs) you know, like, uh, you know, but I think that that is a good thing when we feel, when we have that reaction, because it means that we want a well, a well-rounded game. Do you know what I mean? Like, like we're trying to like really full, fill out our artistic potential in this. I agree. And and also, I, I think there's something to be said there, going back to your idea of kind of like the tribalism of like tech versus flow and everything, of it makes it so much easier for people to kind of like set people in those different boxes and everything and, mm-hmm. and be like, you know, I'm a part of that tribe or I'm a part of that other person's tribe, you know? Mm-hmm. Well, let's, speaking of tribes, um, let's mm-hmm. segue into flow festivals. Yes. Um, I, uh, so I... Did I meet you? So you're saying I met you for the first time in D.C. and we already knew each other at Kinetic the first year? Yeah, yeah. So I'm tr- I, I spent the day trying to remember what year this was, but I think it was 2010, maybe 2011. You came through and did some uh, Hoop Path workshops yeah. and they were out in Virginia, uh, just outside of D.C. Right. And my friend Katie had talked me into coming and she said that they were full up, but somebody had dropped out the second day. So yeah. I like, you know, hopped on the Metro to get out there. Uh, first thing, I think it was on a Sunday morning, maybe. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was one of those workshops where I remember it so vividly cause it was so different from any other workshop <laughs> experience I'd ever had where, you know, I walked in and there's like, you know, put your, you put your hoop on the ground and we're going to put a blindfold on you and you're just going to like warm up your body and uh, and and eventually we were able to like pick up our hoops and everything. And I'd missed the first day, so I didn't know that it wasn't kosher to like take the hoop off your body and like you know, do things <laughs> above your head and everything. So I can't remember who it was who was your assistant that day, but she kind of came up and gave me a gentle nudge and was just like, um, "Watch out, because that's yeah. you're you're gonna hit somebody if you do that with a blindfold." I'm like, "Oh yeah, good point." Yeah. Um, and then we like we, we I, I remember it was a bunch of off body stuff that we did that day, but I came up and talked to you afterwards and, uh, yeah, the next, I think the next time I saw you would have been at that kinetic. Yeah. Well, you know, that was, um, I really, uh, I don't know. I don't want to like bro out here, but I really did <laughs> appreciate you coming. And I thought that that was really cool because I mean, I already knew who you were and uh, we must, I don't know how I knew who you were, but I know, I know I knew who you were when you walked in. Cause I was shocked that you were hooping <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I, you were such a good student. Um, and, uh, I, I really, I've always really admired that about you, man, is that you're also a really good student and that I've met a lot of teachers, hot shots on the flow festival teaching scene that are not the best students. You know, um, and uh, and I think it really shows a sign of confidence in yourself when you can be a humble student, even if you're some badass in another field or discipline. Yeah, I mean, part of it is, is if you're going to go take a workshop, you know that you don't know something and you want to acquire that thing, you know, and, you know, plus, which, of course, 
so I mean, part of it is being a teacher and like seeing how your students act and being right. all like, you know, okay, yeah. I'm not going to be the person who's like trying to distract everybody around me. And a part of it too is. I think if you're going to be a good teacher, you have to go take other people's classes. You have to see how they teach. You have to see what works and what doesn't. You have to see how students engage. And, you know, no, absolutely nobody pops out of the womb with all the good ideas. So you absolutely. have to go learn from other people how to teach. I, I think the difference there is a lot of a lot of teachers on the Flow Festival circuit don't care about being good teachers. You know, they mm-hmm. they they enjoy being the center of attention. And, you know hey, there's nothing wrong with that. But at the same time, you can really create an amazing learning environment for other people if you really sat down and figure out what people are looking to get out of your classes and how to create that environment for them. Absolutely. I just want to echo and underline that in case someone (laughs) didn't hear that, that the best way to be the best teacher is to always concern yourself with the experience of your students. Yeah. And to realize that you are yourself a student. Exactly. And that like, it's not about what you wanted to teach. It's not about how you're coming off unless that affects the student's experience, you know? And it's funny, Drex, how often I have had teachers teach a class that I know they would hate. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Like where I know that they would have walked away. They would never sit through their own class. Exactly. Exactly. Mm -hmm. Um, But so we brought up uh, Kinetic. Uh, That was actually my first flow festival ever. Oh, excellent. Um, And uh, what a unique experience that was. It was, um, we were, well, I was given like easily the worst hotel room I've ever been in my life. (laughs) I don't know if you could call it a hotel room, but they had these broken down trailers. (laughs) And mine, yeah, mine, you couldn't close the door. I was right beside Alien John's trailer. Oh, shit. And uh, you couldn't close the door. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. No, that was the first year of Kinetic, wasn't it? That was when they had it in. Absolutely. Yeah. It was like that first. Oh, and it God. rained. It was okay on Friday, I think. But then it rained the rest of the weekend. And we crammed everybody into that shelter and somehow made it work. Yeah. I remember, God, some of the teachers were. I don't even remember what this building was, but it was like. The, the beds weren't actually beds. They were like shelves that they'd stuck mattress stuff in. And uh, Asaf was there that year, and he was the one who, like, invited me to come right. sleep in this place. And I slept in, like, this little cupboard that, like, probably held blankets or something like that most of the time. And, like, I couldn't lift my head more than two inches without hitting, like, the bottom of Asaf's bed above <laughs> me. Totally. That was a for the love event. You know what I mean? Yes, like we absolutely. were all there. And I think um, our flow festival still that way. It's been a minute since I've attended one. Would you say they're still got that for the love feeling where everybody's just like going to going to roll with it and do it? Yes, to a certain extent. Cool. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's changing over time. Um, like th- there definitely was in the early days of this early days quotes finger quotes there because um, that year of kinetic I mean at that point fire drums had been going for what like six seven years maybe yeah um, wildfire too I think but um, that yes. that was when it first started taking off and becoming like a big phenomenon in the country and um, there was definitely kind of like a wild and woolly feeling to it of people were figuring out what this was supposed to be and you get a lot of people that, and like. I just remembered as being within a couple of years, you would basically like spend 10, 12 weeks on the road around the same group That's of people right. and everything, jumping right. from place to place. Week after week, there would just be a new a new event and everything, and you'd be sleeping on somebody's floor and just like, you know, hanging out with people from all over the world and like, you know, freaking watching whatever TV we were watching back then and then going and practicing for like four hours at a go and everything. Um, and it's it's... It's something a little bit different now. Um, like there, there's still the people that like want to, you know, catch all the things and try and get to every festival and everything. There are fewer festivals now. Um, we, sure. we pe- yeah, we peaked out like three years ago. I want to say, yeah. but um, yeah. Um, for for those who don't know, I actually uh, I keep a calendar on my website at uh, drexfactor.com/slash/calendar of flow and fire events. Uh, oh, both great resource. Go United ahead, and give us that address again. Sure. It's uh, drexfactor.com slash calendar. Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, and, you know, again, one of those kind of labor of love things where, mm-hmm. you know, I, I basically 
every couple months go around on Facebook and look at all the events that I've been invited to and everything and go put all their details in. So people have one place where they can go look and find all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's, it, it's definitely, um, it's become more formalized in a lot of way. There's a lot more infrastructure behind a lot of these events, which, you know, you, you start seeing really, really cool artwork popping up and, um, you know, the resources that people have to put these events together are, are, are so much bigger and better. It seems now. like there's a lot more professional music now. Yes, yes, definitely. Like, I mean, I feel like the first couple of years of Connecticut, it was, we were playlisting it, and now it's like <laughs> the music act is actually advertised and things like that, you know? Yeah, absolutely. They, um, yeah, one of several of my friends locally that are that are really good DJs. Um, you know, my my homie Ethan, he goes by the name Raptorstein. He he just got to play Flame Festival this this oh, nice. uh, this past spring, which was really really great because he's he's not a flow person. He you know how you have those friends that you very deliberately you know pick out because they have nothing to do with this world whatsoever. <laughs> Absolutely, and they're really really good for offering perspective when your head is hung up on something. For sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he's he, he's that guy for me. Um, really, really, really good dude. And then uh, there's a bunch of DJs based out of Richmond, the uh, Party Liberation Front, that have been going around doing these events too. And uh, yeah, the music has definitely been ticking up a notch. I I don't know. I so my my, my dirty little secret is I I don't like electronic music very much. I grew oh, up. Oh, controversy! I was wondering that. Oh, wow. So we're 40 minutes in, 50 minutes and in, and, and the controversy, controversy comes out. <laughs> You don't like no. electronic music. Interesting. I like. I'm. I, I'm a punk and metal kid. I, I, and you play music. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, I, yeah. I play bass and guitar and drums, and I, I've sung in several bands. But yeah, like live music is my happy place. Nice. Um, nice. Yeah, and you know, it's it's not like it's not like I hate on the music at festivals, but the way it energizes some people, it doesn't really energize me the same way. Interesting. Um, so, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll like just throw on, if I need to get myself hopped up for the night, I'll just throw on headphones and I'll be listening to, you know, the Stones or at the drive-in or something like that just to, you know, get myself in the mood. What's your least favorite question to get at a, uh, at a flow festival? What's your least favorite question? Jesus. Um, good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> tell me what you think of my spinning. <laughs> That's the one I hate the most. <laughs> Ding ding! <laughs> that <laughs> That's pretty good. Although I, I think that that might be more of a, a poi and and staff thing, like where people. I mean, I used to get that a lot. I used to get people. My least favorite thing is probably related to that, but is can you show me a move? Mm. Actually, my number one least favorite thing, and this is this is probably where we're going to have another disagreement here. I hope we can keep everything cool, but mm-hmm. I I. God, I hate to use the H word, but I hate it when people come up to me and try to show me a move, especially <laughs> if I'm already spinning. Like if they interrupt me to show me a move and I never know if they really just want to talk to me, like they just want to have like a human connection or something, or if that's their end, but it drives me fucking crazy. <laughs> this is not actually going to be an argument. It drives me crazy too. <laughs> no, because it's, it's one of those things that it's just like, you know... I'm I'm a human being at this festival and I want to I want to have some fun and flow by myself too. Right. And, you know, it and it, I I wonder sometimes the people that do that whether like there there's some issue with boundaries that they're like not quite wrapping their head around and everything or if it's just that like oh you know, this is this person that I respect and I've really been wanting to meet and I don't know if I'm going to get another chance and they're right there and they're alone. They're not yeah. talking to anybody else. So yeah. this is my chance kind of thing. I like to think it's the it's the latter there. Yeah, I like to think so too. But yeah, no, I'm, I'm – t- so this is something that I've always actually really, really admired about you. I feel like anytime I go to – anytime we're both at a flow event, I always see you like off kind of like in your zone and the headphones and everything flowing away. And you're able to like maintain this space that feels like it's for you, but at the same time, nobody resents you for it. You know, it's <laughs> it's like people still you know come to your classes and they still get a lot out of it and everything. And I always just feel as though like the moment I set foot on the property, it's it's just like you know now serving number fifteen. You know? Yeah. Well, I've I've witnessed the queue to talk to you before. I know that I've witnessed that. I know I can definitely 
uh, attest to I've seen that happen. And, you know, I think it would happen to me. I think, and not to sound like a total jerk, but I think I have a pretty good force field. Yeah. Like I can kind of put off a vibe of like, not now, but that mm-hmm. it's not rude. It's just, you know, it's a not now thing. Yeah. That's really when I fell in love with the greater flow community because uh, there used to be some tension between poi people and hoop people. And it wasn't yeah. really like tension. It was just kind of a lack of respect, I think, honestly. And um, and then, so when I went to my first flow event, Brecken, Brecken is really, really the one that got me to go because she thought mm-hmm. like, and, and Grimm, I mean, he, they both played key parts in that. And you know, Brecken was like, oh, man, you know, it's a pretty vicious world. They're going to like critique you. They're going to give you criticisms <laughs> and shit like that. And and I was like, and she was like, you know, I don't know if they're going to, if they, you know, you just should be prepared. There might not be a lot of respect for that sort of like spiritual thing you do, that, that self-help thing you do. And I was like, okay. And then I got there, bro. And it was, it was so moving, the respect that I got mm-hmm. from people that I thought were like a quabillion times more talented than me with their prop. I mean, like Marvin Ong and Nikki Evers and the list just go alien John, you know, and they had all heard of me. They all had this respect for me. And, uh, you know, and after a lot of those sessions that I would do at those festivals, they would come up to me and be like, dude, that's just fucking badass. I love that you just went two hours without stopping. And, And so, you know, that Drex, that was like, you know, just to you know, to sort of wind up on a positive note, that was just such a good thing for me. Um, it, to, and especially to connect with other brothers too, you know? Yeah. Well, and I mean, I, I have told you this before and I will say it again, but like one of the things that I truly love about the way that you teach is you're able to welcome people into your classes who maybe are not on that same kind of spiritual vibe that, you know, we would commonly, you know, stereotypically associate Hoopers with being on and everything. And they still get something out of it. I'm not a very spiritual person at all, but I love taking your classes. Mm. I still enjoy the feeling that I get out of them and the environment that you create and everything. It's really engaging. It's really absorbing. You know, I, I think that that is less, well, it, it might be equal parts testament to the flow world, like being able to expand and be like, mm-hmm. you know, one size fits all. And I think it's also a testament to how good a teacher you are and how oh, good an experience you. you create. Thank you. Yeah, thank absolutely. You. you enjoy teaching a great deal, don't you? I love teaching. Yeah. Absolutely. Is, is it, would you say teaching is an art for you? Absolutely. Yeah, no, me too. I mean, there, there's the skill of learning how to spend point and there's the skill of teaching. And they're, they're two different skills and they can overlap. But like, I. I would say that learning how to teach is at least as important to me as learning how to spend poi. Absolutely. Absolutely. And probably a more valuable skill, like not to knock spending <laughs> poi. But, well, you know, we'll I mean, you, you know, it's uh, you well, you're a you're a fantastic uh, communicator. And do you so before we got off the festival thing, I wanted to bring up the fact that you throw a festival, right? You, or you're part of a, the team that throws yeah. one? I am part of the team that throws yeah. Flame Festival down near Atlanta, Georgia. When is that normally? Uh, it's in early April every year. Um, if if the general manager is listening to this, he's probably like, you know, slapping his forehead right now. He's like, why does Drex not know the date? But I can't remember the date off the top of my but head. But it's early April. It's early April. And it, it'll it'll be on the, uh, the, the calendar uh, probably now within a few hours that I'm thinking about this. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, it's in early April. It's, it's a really, really beautiful event. It's held, um, it, it, it's held at this lovely place called uh, Cherokee Farms. And uh, there's a beautiful little lake there. And, uh, you know, the vibe, is, the, the vibe is really awesome. And part of what makes it for me is I have an amazing team of people that I get to work with there every year who are so good at their jobs. And I, I mean, you know, again, like stepping into the teacher's shoes for a second, the, the thing that's most gratifying about being a teacher is seeing somebody being empowered and seeing somebody be able to take this thing that they thought was impossible and not just do it, but like go off and just like absolutely blossom with it and everything and like getting to work with a team of people for a flow festival is a similar way where it's just kind of like okay i'm going to give you the basic information you need to know in order to do this job and then they go off and do something that absolutely amazes you and you're just like yes please nice yes absolutely you know let's let's end on that positive note i mean not i don't want to end right away we have a few minutes left but um Let's talk about you because you. So, do you? You're you're kind of all in on this flow thing, right? Or do you have like like a lot of people? We all wear multiple hats. But yeah. um, are you? Is this pretty much like your main thing? This is really my only thing right now. Okay. I mean, okay. 
there, there's there's like several hustles that go into that, but yeah, yeah. like Poi, Poi in the Flow Arts is it's it's funny when people talk about is it your full time job? I'm like, no, it's not my full time job. It's my every moment I'm awake job. For um, real, for real. Yeah. Being yeah. self employed is fun <laughs> and scary and scary. Yes, How, when did you make the big leap? Um, so I think we're coming up on six years oh, since wow. I made the big leap. Yeah, it's it's been a while. It's either six or seven. Um, it's funny because I like never bookmark these things in my head. Yeah. So when I when I have to like go back, I, ironically enough, I don't actually know when I first pr- picked up a, a, a set of poi. Like people will ask me that all the time, and um, I know that it was sometime between Burning Man 2006 and my friend's wedding in 2007, and. Literally, I tell people it's April, and the only reason is is because one day I sat down and put down the names of all the months into a hat, and I drew one randomly, and I'm like, okay, it's April then. Um, but wow. yeah, it's 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 been about six or seven years, and you know, the the funniest thing that messed with my head when I did it was um, I, I remember the first day I didn't show up to work, and I had this overwhelming kind of um, awareness that when I was at work, I was essentially getting paid to mess around most of the day you know getting my actual work done never took more than like maybe two or three hours and the rest of the day you're just like dicking around on the internet and everything and it became like really suddenly and painfully clear to me that when i was dicking around i wouldn't get paid for it that like mm. all of the sudden it, it the, the the kind of i guess um knowledge of my income to messing around ratio had become really painfully obvious. Right. Right. What do you, so I, you know, I know this is kind of a catching off guard, but what, what do you have any advice for people that might want to, you know, go to the Drex path? Um, or, or, or just any like artist that's trying to sure. see if so, they're ready. Um, I mean, so there, there's the piece of, of advice that anybody who's in the arts who, like if they're going to be honest to other people, the the first thing they're always going to say is if you can be happy doing anything else, you should be doing it. Um, <laughs> no, seriously. It's, it's no, I'm laughing because you're totally you right. You have to sacrifice so much in order to do it. It's not for the faint of heart unless yeah. unless you are and, – and it sounds really romantic to say this. Like unless you're like willing to literally give everything you have, you shouldn't be doing it. And it's not romantic at all. You will have so many days when you're just like – sitting in the pit of despair like how long can i do this for like absolutely am am i gonna wind up like dead in an alleyway somewhere (laughs) homeless person in a few years kind of thing or even just like really simple questions of like do i have anything relevant that people want to hear about anymore you know yeah um so if you have a hard time with soul crushing doubts this might not be a great career yeah yeah but if you absolutely are going to do it then the first and biggest thing you need to learn, and it's a dirty word, but you have to learn how to be a business person. Mm-hmm. You, you may think that the enemy is like companies and corporations and everything, but you have to learn their playbook. Otherwise, you're Absolutely. not going to survive. Absolutely. And, the th- like, and it's the thing that like, I think people frequently mistake the rules of the game for the people that play it. Hmm. And you know, say you, know, you may despise Apple for making their smartphones in a factory in China where workers kill themselves all the time. You can still learn lessons from how they market themselves and how they create products and be like, okay, I can apply these lessons to doing something good. Right. You, know, you, you have to be willing to learn from the people you don't like as much as the people that you do. Yeah, 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 because it's still business. And that's, I mean, you know, that's how you become, that's really the pro and pro artist. Yes. You know, is that you, it's become a business, you know, and, uh, I don't think it, you know, I recently posted about this on Facebook, but I I really don't think I have a lot. I know a lot of people that will use the sort of built in excuse that they love something so that they don't want to make money at it. So they stop loving it. (laughs) And I, I can see some of the common sense in that, but I don't know if that's necessarily true because, there's something to be said when you go all in on your art and it's what's putting food on the table, literally. It's what's yeah. paying for your house. And it's not, I don't think that that's what you burn out on is the art making, however difficult no. that can be. It's everything else. <laughs> yeah. It's it's all the things that you didn't know that you needed to learn. Um, Absolutely. Well said, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, I've, I've been doing this for seven years, six, seven years. And, you know, 
I don't love poise spending any less. I guarantee you that if I went back to you know a regular day job within the next few months, which is probably not going to happen, um, yeah. but you know, if, if it did happen to me at some point, I would still be spending every day. It's still something that energizes me and makes me happy. You know, honestly, the business side of things is what allows me to keep on doing that at the level that I want to do it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, let's talk one last thing about the the business. I know that some yeah. people mm-hmm. asked us to talk about marketing, but maybe that'll be a part two at a later date or something, because I know you have a lot to say on that. I do um, indeed. <laughs> but when it, when it, um, you've done just a great job of, I think, building a brand, uh, you do reviews, you do tutorials, you do essentially what in the hoop world, what we call flow videos or just, you know, mm-hmm. going off. And, uh, and you, you, you seem to be on every platform, <laughs> every platform that I feel like I have either a good rate of engagement or a good return on the time. What, on. What's your favorite platform right now for marketing uh, for marketing? Um, well, now we have to parse that question because, of course, there's a question of what kind of marketing. Oh, uh, okay. Am I marketing my brand? Am I marketing an event? Am I marketing a product? Am I uh, just trying to get straight income off of an experience? Um, hmm. I think all of them, and that's just it. That this is why I'm on multiple platforms right now. Is that oh, each that of them makes so much sense? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, to be honest with you, I've had a Twitter account for forever, but I haven't really been using it very heavily. Uh, up until like the last six to nine months. And it's because I discovered that it was an absolutely great tool for getting messaging out on a regular basis. Um, There there have been two like gigantic aha moments for me this year in terms of my own marketing and figuring out how to use Twitter was definitely one of them. Um, Instagram is without a doubt the best thing out there for getting out, you know, quick kind of flow ideas and um, cultivating a, uh, an audience that is, I guess I would say, engaged in the work that you're doing and able to kind of um, almost be a peanut gallery as you're, you know, working through your sandbox of ideas and everything. Like, mm-hmm. it's really, really interesting to post lots of videos to Instagram and see what is the stuff that people gravitate to. And, you know, I, I actually used Instagram to try out a bunch of different ideas, some of which wound up eventually on my YouTube channel because they were so successful there. Right. Um, YouTube is still kind of my platform of choice as Mm -hmm. a video producer simply because the kind of narrative I like to work inside of and the kind of format that I like to work inside of still doesn't fit Instagram terribly well because, um, I'm, I'm a, I, I like being a content creator and, um, Instagram is definitely more of, um, almost like a scratch pad rather than I'm going to write a novel and I like writing novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let's, um, you know, we're right at an hour. I really appreciate this and sure. I would love it if you, if you know, I'm like, if you can give us your handles and how people can find out about you and absolutely. all the different platforms, go for it. Sure. Sure. So, um, best place to find me is on YouTube and my YouTube channel is just Drex Factor Poi. Um, you can do a search or you can go to youtube.com slash C slash, uh, Drex factor, I believe. And, uh, you can like me on Facebook. I'm at facebook.com slash Drex factor poi. And you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter on both of those platforms. I am also Drex factor. Okay. And flame is most likely going to be in the first of April. Probably the first weekend of April is when we usually have it. Okay, great. Well, Drex, thank you so much, man, for being my second ever interview here. Yeah, and, my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I, and uh, go ahead. I've been really keen to see this experiment of yours. I, I love podcasts, and uh, it's been re- it's been really exciting to see you get into this. Well, send your cool friends my way and let me interview them some more. But thank you for all the things you said. I would, you know, in some distant future, I'd love to have you back on to talk about marketing and maybe some practical aspects but this was great to talk to you i feel like i've known you all these years but i feel like i know you a little bit better now and no uh, thank you i feel like i know you better too (laughs) right on man well thank you so much i'm gonna fade out hold on the line just for a second here thank you guys this has been the future hero podcast my name is baxter if you dig what i do please feel free to like share it comment on it pass it around reference it Uh, anything you can do to help get the word out keeps the love flowing thank you very much for listening and we'll talk to you later